his series last time, and uh, I think I'm teaching tonight, and I believe uh, Brother Todd Sweeney is going to be teaching next week. Is that correct, Todd? All right, so you, you, you'll get some uh, one-time topics. Tonight's topic is going to be on admonishing one another, but before we get into this, I've got several people on the prayer list. Let me just share the ones I've got. Uh, Tommy Barragona is uh, having some problems. He's home tonight. Mary Alice Coates is home following surgery. Connie Edge is home. You know, she fell and bruised some bones, and she's having a hard time recovering from that. Sister uh, Joanne Roberts has got knee surgery scheduled on the 26th. Brenda Taylor's home following surgery. Stella Pittman is at uh, Landmark for rehab for two weeks. David Yates, that's Harley's dad, is still in the hospital in Oxford. Uh, Tim Floyd, we have on our prayer list, awaiting kidney transplant. And Lynn Floyd is at home now. And we need to remember John Dryden, that's Laura Galloway's dad. He's not expected to live more than another year at the most. Uh, Holly Rose, that's Ray Mason's daughter, is having some pregnancy complications. Betty Livingston has a recurrence of cancer. That's Liz Jackson's sister. Nathan Hale, who's the preacher over at Belmont, is having some serious eye problems as a side effect of sugar diabetes. You know, when a preacher has eye problems and he can't read, it, it really impacts their behavior. Uh, Mary Jane Hornberger, that's uh, Bridget Williams' mother, Irene Baker, that's Linda Hester's mother. And David Bates, that's Katie Mae's grandfather. Truman Ballard, that's Kathy Acock's father. And we all, we've been praying for Will Tennyson for a long time. And then the Stevens family in the loss of Raver. And we extend sympathy to Martha and Joanne Mormon on the death of their nephew, Bob Sweeney Jr. of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And Cassie Foster lost her grandmother this week. That's Mary Turner of Cleveland. And certainly we ought to be thankful for the safe return of all of our travelers to the Ark and beyond. And we celebrate with the Brumley family in the adoption of Rory, Rory Claire K.N. Roro Brumley. All right, that's my list. Do you have, y'all have something to add to it or is that enough? Oh, we got a new grandbaby. We can celebrate that. Would you tell us the name of that grandbaby? All right. Avery Jane, but her parents are calling her AJ. That's the new grandchild for the forest. And a great-grandchild, too. Your sister, Death. Sue Jones, that's Brother Luther's sister, is really low. She's been in the hospital twice this week. Guy Gardner's uncle.
I've got Rick Warner up here to hear from me to say his name again. Sam Ritchie. I can't ever remember when we've had a longer prayer list. Would you bow with me, please? Yes. Did he pass away? Is this sick? Yes, sir. Long time now. He's, uh, he's having a lot of problems. Uh, Courtney Owens. We need Courtney, Courtney Owens. Owens. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can approach your throne on behalf of those that we know and love. We're so thankful that prayer to you is one of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And we pray your care to be with Tommy Barragona, Courtney Owens, Mary Alice Coates, Connie Edge. We pray that you'd be with Sister Roberts as she undergoes surgery. We pray for the recovery of Brenda Taylor. We pray for the rehab of Sister Stella Pittman. We pray for David Yates. Tim Floyd, Lynn Floyd, John Dryden, Holly Rose, Betty Livingston. We pray for the vision of Brother Nathan Hill to be improved. We pray for Mary Jane Hornberger, for Irene Baker, for David Bates, for Truman Ballard, for Will Tennyson, for Sue Jones, for Ricky, uh, who's uh, G.I. Gardner's uncle, Sam Ritchie. Uh, we pray for Sonny Honeycutt. We're so thankful, Father, for the safe return of those who visited the ark. Uh, we, and we celebrate with the Brumley family in the successful adoption. And we celebrate uh, A.J.'s birth, and we pray that you would bless her and her parents and her grandparents and her great-grandparents. And we pray that you would be with Anita's mother and give her safety as she travels home. And Father, we ask that you be with us tonight as we study scriptures that tell us about our behavior towards one another. We pray that you would bless us in our study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Belmont Congregation is having a summer series on using one another scriptures, and I was invited to speak there. Appreciate Brother Rick Warner. He went with me last Wednesday night, and we talked about this scripture that you see on the screen, admonishing one another. I'm going to try... We were not able to get our Apple TV to work, and normally I can look at my screen here and see a slide and it will be up there, but it's not working tonight, so I'm a two-clicker man tonight, okay? We're going to try that. And I've probably got 10 pounds worth of material to put in a five-pound bag, so y'all help me here, okay? 
There are 59 one another scriptures and that I, you can find in the New Testament that deal specifically with how Christians ought to behave towards one another. 18 of those deal with love, and I'm sure you're familiar with the one that says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But there are six other ones that deal with encouragement. There are even four that tell us what a positive greeting we ought to have towards each other when we meet each other. In total, I would consider each one of those verses to be like a headline in a newspaper. And, and sort of, you could probably do a sermon on every one of them. And there are things that tell us how, how we uh, ought to behave towards one another, like live in harmony with one another that you find in 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. And there are things that we should not do towards one another, like don't grumble against each other that you find in James 5 and verse 9. When you look at the definition of admonish, I would focus on that gently word. We sort of know what admonish means, but this Greek word means that we ought to caution or reprove gently. I would compare it to raising children. You're familiar with Ephesians 6 and verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You all know that we've got a lot of kids. We've got five children. Janita is famous in our family for the way that she would sort of nurture our children. When we'd have a problem, if there was an opportunity for her to say, what does the Bible say about this? She would always do that. And they got really frustrated at her at times when they'd try to argue with her and negotiate over something and she'd always go back to, what does the Bible say about this? As our children got a little bit older, we have been known to get more detailed with them. Uh, I, I can remember asking one of them in particular when we were discussing something that he wanted to do that we thought was really questionable. We said, well, why don't you study that topic and and write us a 500-word theme about what the Bible says about that, and we'll read that, and then we'll discuss it again. There, he, He's a grown man now, but sometimes he comes back and, and thanks us for some of the things that we did. And But you know, if you're going to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that gently sort of comes in there. You don't want to drive them away from you. What you want to do is to change their mind. And, and I think that the same thing will apply to us as we're dealing with one another. When you think about our worship, our worship is both vertical as well as horizontal. Just think of a cross. And the vertical aspects of our worship are things like prayers to God through Jesus Christ, the Lord's Supper when we're remembering the death of Christ until He comes again, 
We're studying His Word, which is a product of the Holy Spirit. And some of the songs that we sing, like Holy, 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 are vertical. But there's also a horizontal aspect to our worship as well. You know, what God's Word says to us about our behavior. And when we're studying that, we're thinking about our behavior towards one another. And some of the songs deal with our actions and feelings towards one another. I want to just think about some of the songs that we sing that I would say admonish. Uh, if we had time, we'd sing some of these, but, you know, a song like Angry Words, Oh, Let Them Never, from the huh? Unbridled Slip. You know, well, that's admonishing. That's telling us about how we ought to talk towards one another. To the work. Take time to be holy. Uh, sometimes it's a very impactful song, like, Did You Ever Mention Him to Me? Yeah. That's sort of a, an admonishment kind of thing. And almost all of our invitation songs are admonishing kinds of songs. We're admonishing people to get up out of the pew and walk down the aisle and confess sins or become a Christian. Well, in tonight's study... As time permits, we're going to examine several New, New Testament, several New Testament scriptures that have the word admonish in it. Or it might have the word warn because both of those come from the same Greek word. And so we can better understand how we're to admonish one another. And then at the end, I've tried to summarize lessons that I learned as I was going through this study. By the way, when they asked me over at Belmont to preach on admonish one another, I had never preached a sermon on that topic, so you're getting the product of my study on this particular topic tonight. In Romans, the 15th chapter and verse 14, And concerning you, my brethren, I also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. I have a question for you here. What are the steps of spiritual growth that you find in this text? Do you see any spiritual growth in that text? Filled with all knowledge I heard here. And right before the knowledge, he said what? Filled with goodness? Oh, Sister Mormon says you've got to grow to be able to admonish and teach others. You're seeing the same things that I saw there. Look at uh, when you think about goodness. I, I think about Matthew 25, the judgment scene. I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was naked, I needed hospitality, I was sick, I was in prison. <clears throat> People that would, quote, be good would see needs and would respond to those needs. Or James 1.27. What does James 1.27 say? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. That's the goodness part, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
And then they were filled with knowledge. Uh, when I think about knowledge, I think about First Peter or Second Peter, the first chapter, where we talk, we see, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. It's a building blocks sort of a way to get all the way to expressing love towards one another. That's right. It, it was a formula to go to heaven, wasn't it? And, and then, but in this verse, he says you're able to admonish. He's thankful that they're able to admonish. Now, what I saw there is this is a sign of spiritual maturity. As you grow as a Christian, at some point, you reach the point that you are able to admonish. It's also something that we probably learn, need to learn to do. We looked at those. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse, verses 13 through 15. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I think you can see there that there is a right way and a wrong way to admonish a brother. Now, one of the reasons that we admonish is to change behavior. In this case, Paul told them, if anyone doesn't obey the word of this epistle, you know, you're supposed to admonish them. Uh, and this person being admonished also needs to understand that we're serious about what we have told them. You know, this is not supposed to be... If you're going to admonish somebody, it's not a passing comment. In this case, they reinforce their words by note that person and do not keep company with him. So even though our admonishment is going to be gentle, the people that we're talking to need to know that we're serious about what we're talking to them about. And how we come across to that person being admonished is very important because he said, but admonish him as a brother. Let's go back to the context. Back in verse 13, he said, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in well-doing. So this whole concept of admonishing is an example of well-doing. Why is admonishing a fellow Christian considered to be an example of doing good? Amen. Sister Anita has said we're it's doing good because we're trying to save their soul. And when you think about this whole thing that we started with, about admonishing one another, the reason that we're admonishing one another is so that we can help each other go to heaven. And you know, if there may be a time that Jim needs to be admonished. There may be another time that Brother JT needs to be admonished. 
I might be admonishing JT, and then later on he might be admonishing me. But because we love each other, maybe we'll have a better chance of going to heaven. Uh, I've picked out several scriptures here that I think will tell us how to and how not to get involved in this admonishing. One is in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. That warn is the same word that was translated admonish in, in other versions. In Galatians 5 and verse 15. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You ever found people that born in a negative case and kickative mood? They just seem to love to criticize. Well, that's not what we're about here when we're talking about admonish. We're not trying to bite and devour one another. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Some people, you can pull their chain, and, and they'll just go off in all sorts of different directions. And, and some people just love to make comments to upset people, and that's not what we're trying to do with admonishing. It's also not to slander. In James 4 and verse 11 do not speak evil of one another. And we've already read the one earlier about not grumbling. Don't grumble against one another. And we also have read earlier about not to count this person that we're admonishing as an enemy. So the point is our intent is important. And if we make the decision that we're going to help a person by admonishing them, we need to remember these things that we ought to be watchouts for us. I think a great verse is Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Remember our first definition of admonish? dealt with a gentle warning. And that's sort of what's captured there in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Now let's move to Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. We'll look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Who do you think they're talking about there? Talking about an eldership. I think that, that certainly fits that context. And you know, it's the role of leadership to admonish or to warn. Now, I want to look here at, we were looking at 11 and 12. Now let's look at 12 and 13. I'll just focus on 13 and that you esteem them highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. 
So what should we do about church leadership that admonishes us? I said support them. The scripture said esteem them highly. Now, so there's a two-way street here. We, if you're doing the admonishing, you ought to do it gently. If you're being admonished, you ought to appreciate the person that loves you enough to do that. And some of this may be hard to do. If somebody, if you perceive somebody to be fussing at you, what's your normal reaction? <clears throat> I see some body language out there. Okay. Yeah. Now let's look at the next two verses in that chapter. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is both good for yourself and for all. I've got on the screen there three different renderings of warning and admonishing. Some said unruly, another translation said disorderly, another said idlers. Now the question is, who is to admonish the unruly? All Christians, Sister Mormon said. You know, earlier we had been talking about the eldership, but he specifically in this case says, brethren. So it is a congregational responsibility to admonish, well, just like we read there when we were talking about singing and admonishing one another. When we sing as a congregation, it's a corporate kind of thing. Now, if you look again at that, uh, at those verses 14 and 15, brethren, warn those who are unruly, be patient with all, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I want you to notice that we are to be interested both in ourselves and all the community or the congregation. I know in some of Brother Ken's lessons recently, he's been talking about the things that we do to protect the community, to protect the congregation. And when we're in this role of warning those who are unruly and comforting the faint-hearted and upholding the weak and being patient with all, we're not only concerned about ourselves; we're concerned about the whole congregation. But, you know, he didn't say warn or admonish everybody, because everybody doesn't need to be warned and admonished on every topic. But sometimes the unruly do need to be admonished. I find the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 to be uh, interesting. But ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief, you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, 
but let us watch and be sober. So he's putting a big umbrella here that we are watchmen. And when we are watchmen, there are things that we have to do. And sometimes we have to admonish. I am reminded of what we read about in Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning and shall deliver his soul, but if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. I think most of you know that I spent about a year in Vietnam. I, I really appreciated the people that were on guard duty, that were out at the perimeter of the base camp, and were watching out for the enemy coming. You never wanted the person to go to sleep if they were on guard duty. And if they saw something, for sure you wanted them to send up a flare or something to give you a warning that danger was imminent so that you could prepare to protect yourself. It was a matter of life and death. And here God is talking to Ezekiel about protecting the people of Israel. He's talking about how important it is for the watchman to take their role seriously. Because if they don't take their role seriously, a lot of people could die. And the watchman, if they did a good job in warning, they didn't hold anything against them. But if they didn't warn, then they held everything against them. But this was dealing with physical death. But then he goes on, O thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood Will I require at thine hand, nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Here we're talking about spiritual death. Now, just my observation, you know, we've talked about verses 1 through 6 dealing with physical death. But we as watchmen are doing things that are more important than that. Because when we act as a watchman, what we're doing is we're keeping people from spiritual death. And we're helping people to go to heaven. And I can't think of a better or more important role that each Christian has. In Colossians 1 and verse 28... Him we preach, every warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, 
that we may present every man perfect in Christ. The New American Standard Bible uses admonishing where the King James uses warning. But Paul admonished or warned because that was part of the preacher's job, to admonish and warn. You know Jesus also warned? Luke 13, 3, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. It was a common thing for Jesus to share warnings. Jesus preached more about hell than any other person that we have a record of in the Bible because he didn't want any of us to go there. He was warning us. In Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. I want you to notice Paul's intent. His intent was they were doing that admonishing so that people would be complete in Christ. We should have the same intent. We should try to help each other go to heaven. Now I want to go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 4, and let's look at the verses leading up to verse 14. Paul is writing here, and he says, To this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And then he goes on to say, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. The thing I got out of this was, I think it's important that we be open and honest about the things that are, that can be a, that are going on in our lives and going on in, in the circumstances that we're dealing with this person, because I think that may strengthen our admonishing. Maybe we have to tell that person how the behavior that they're doing is impacting us or how it's impacting the congregation. Or maybe there are some things that are going on in your life and you've set those aside and love that person so much that you're going out to find them, to admonish them. And maybe we ought to tell them that we're doing that because we love them and because we want them to go want it want them to go to heaven. In other words, let's make the conversation personal. Did you know that admonishing was part of God's behavior? The Hebrew writer said, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make a tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mountain. God admonished Moses, follow the pattern. When we tell people, let's just go back to the Bible and do what the Bible says, we're admonishing people in the same way that God admonished Moses. 
in the last verse of the sixth chapter of Genesis, you'll see that Noah was bragged on because he did everything that God commanded him. It's an important thing that we follow what God says. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter in verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The context here, you know, Paul's talking about the sins that the Israelites committed as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They lusted after evil things, they had sexual immorality, they practiced idolatry, they tempted Christ, and oh, could they complain. And as Brother Ken has re emphasized recently in the class he's teaching here on Sunday night, you know, we, we study the Old Testament, we learn about God, and we learn about how He deals with disobedience. And that should admonish us to take God seriously and do what He says. I want you to notice this definition of admonish. It, Properly to place the mind, that is, the reasoning with someone, by warning or admonishing them. And then another, this exerts positive pressure on someone's logic or reasoning and urging them to choose. So you're really, when you're admonishing a person, you're trying to get into their mind. You're trying to have them think about God's Word and, and relate their behavior to God's Word. This is more of a... And that's why sometimes it is very hard to admonish a person if you're on an emotional level, because if two people are on an emotional level, it's very hard for them to reason. And, and so maybe that's why we're supposed to do it gently, because we're not trying to upset them. We're trying to get them to think. And not think about us, but think about the words that we're sharing that come from God's Word. Now, I want you to notice how Paul talked to Titus, a preacher. He said, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-conceited. The context here is this person's creating strife and discord in the congregation. I don't know whether they're introducing new doctrine and practices or, or just disagreeing with what God's Word has said. But the instructions for the preacher Titus is to admonish this person, do it a couple of times, and then move on to stronger measures if that admonishing does not work. So what have we learned? All right, I, feel free to add to these or improve them if you would like. I, I, the first thing that I said I'd learned was that the ability to admonish is a sign of spiritual growth. And you may have heard said of people, well, I've never heard that person say a negative word to anybody. And they thought that was a compliment. 
how we admonish or warn is also important. The intent should be to strengthen the family, the congregation, by restoring the individual and not destroying that individual. Number three, the person being admonished needs to perceive by both our words and our actions that we're serious. And it's not just a passing comment. And number four, God's word is powerful. Admonishing is to be focused on logic and reasoning. And God's word should be the basis for the content of our admonishing. Number five, the intent of our admonishing each other is to help each other stay on track on our journey to heaven. And number six, the way we admonish is very important. It should help to restore and redirect a person in a spirit of gentleness. And then number seven, we should esteem highly those who love us enough to admonish us in the Lord. I'd really like to have 10 things that we learned from this, but I could only come up with seven. Has anybody got any more? And everybody speak at once. I did have some more observations though. Let's go backwards. Sister Forrest says that when we're going to admonish some person, we need to make sure they know that we love them and that we care about them. It, it sort of falls in this intent. It'd be very easy to get into the particulars without knowing why we're there and, and what is motivating us to do that. These additional observations, I say they're trying to come in. The intent of, admon of our admonishing each other is to help us stay on track uh, let me go one more. We've read that. We've covered that one. Admonishing is something that the Godhead does to us as we studied the Bible. When we study the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament intents is that the examples would admonish us. Part of the role of elders and preachers is to admonish, and admonishment is a part of the role of those who are spiritual and are able to admonish, and the entire congregation is involved in many of the songs that we sing by admonishing one another. Thank you for your participation.
time I've ever really studied that topic in detail.
While we come uh, trickling in, if you want to turn to your invitation song, it'll be 860. 860 in the songbook will be an invitation song. And once you get that mark, you just stay right there because we're going to sing 859 before Levi has our Devo. 859. What a song After Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, he found himself working in the house of an Egyptian named Potiphar. Genesis 39.7 tells us that while he was there, the wife of Potiphar made advances toward him. Because Joseph was a righteous man, he refused to give in temptation and cor correctly asked, How then 
Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sadly, this did not stop Potiphar's wife. On a day when all the servants were out of the house, Genesis 39.12 tells us that she called him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Joseph refused to give in to temptation and did not even hang around to be enticed into it. Paul affirmed that there will always be a way to escape temptations of this life. In Corinthians 10.13, he wrote, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. But with the temptation will always make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So with every temptation we are faced, God gives us a way to escape it, if we are willing to search for it. Joseph ran from his temptation. One way to escape temptation is to follow Jesus' example in Matthew 4, when the devil tried to tempt him after he had fasted for 40 days. Each time the devil tempted Jesus, he answered the devil with, It is written, and quoted the scriptures. Knowing God's word and using it to fight against temptation is a great way to avoid sinning. Another way to not give in to temptation is to not be anywhere around it. In Proverbs, Solomon advised not to look or go at near things that tempt you. Just think about it. Often when we give in to temptation, we are at certain places with certain people doing certain activities that we know we should not be around. Finally, we can resist temptation through the power of prayer. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 6, 13 in his model prayer. Jesus prayed, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when we are tempted, one way to avoid sinning is to pray to resist any of the temptation that we face. All of us face temptations of one sort or another. For this reason, we must prepare to overcome them ourselves so that we, be, so that we can be found faithful in the eyes of God. Remember, every temptation has a way of escape. What we must do is find it. We can use God's word, avoid being around everything or someone that has to do with temptations, or pray that God will help us overcome these temptations. Are you looking for a way to escape? Or just giving in. If any of you here tonight are in need of prayers of the church, ask or want to ask God forgiveness or to be baptized, will you please come as we stand and sing?
Y'all can be seated. We do have a few announcements before we dismiss with prayer. Uh, remember in prayer, Stella Pittman has been moved to Landmark Rehab for two weeks. Uh, Mary Alice Coates is home following wrist surgery today. And Brenda Taylor is at home following knee surgery. And a reminder, if your child needs to ride the bus to Maywood Camp Week 8, either there or back home, you need to sign the sheet in the foyer. Also, homemade desserts are needed for camp. Please see the bulletin for details of this need. And I want to welcome back the Rosas. I know how excited we are that they are here, and I'm embarrassing them, but I've high-fived Mia and I've shake, shaken Rosendo's hand. Welcome back to your family. It's so great to have you. And if y'all will bow with me, we'll close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the many, many blessings you've given us. We're especially thankful for this midweek service, God, where we get to come and open your word and study it and learn and get our spiritual cup filled for the rest of the week. God, I just ask that you please give us faith and strength and help us remember that our highest purpose here is to do your will in all things. Please forgive us where we failed you. Thank you so much for all the blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.